0: Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. This episode features an interview with Chris Lampion, Operations Manager at Lampion Mechanical Services in Atlanta, Georgia. On this episode, Chris discusses the talent shortages he and other mechanical companies face, how to offer your clients the best customer experience, and the technical advances service providers must keep up with. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Wouldn't you like to rest easy knowing that your brick-and-mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? It's time to partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com to learn more.
0: And here's your host, Industry and FM Technology Thought Leader and Chief Business Development Officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I'm here today with Chris Lampion. Chris, welcome. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: Doing well. Thank you. So, Chris, let's dive right in. Tell us about your company, your role, and what you're responsible for.
2: Well, we're Lamping Mechanical Services. We do uh, commercial refrigeration and HVAC. My dad started the company about 15 years ago, and about six or seven years ago, I took over the reins running the operation.
1: Tell us about your journey. How did you end up in the business?
2: Well, my dad's been in this industry for over 30 years, and when he decided to start his own company, I always took a liking to being around what he was doing. And growing up around the industry in general, I had a, a good idea of everything. And then I was in college, and he came to me. I had about two years left, and he he came to me and uh, said that if I wanted to learn the trade and the business side, that he'd give me that opportunity. So... When I finished school, I had already been working for the company in many different capacities, but I really dove head first when I finished college and started working for the company and learning the trade started from the bottom with the technical side and also learning the, the business side with it.
1: Gotcha. Nice. We'll talk a little bit more about this later, but what makes a good team within a service provider? What do you look for in employees and what does the camaraderie look like within your company?
2: So I I would say that especially with us, what makes our, our team good is everybody cares about what they're doing. They're very competitive and they don't want to do a bad job for the customer. And they we don't like seeing recalls come across our emails. And we want the customer to know that we care and that we're taking care of them. So that's every one of our guys has that mindset. So I think that helps us all work together to make sure that the customer is taken care of. The other thing with camaraderie is we all communicate quite a bit together. We just keep a open line of communication between myself and all the technicians together, and and our office. That's the big biggest thing with keeping our camaraderie
1: in a good place. So, I, I always wanted to ask this: What does competition look like within the team? Does the team look at how few recalls they each have, or you know, is there pressure on the tech so that they don't? cause recalls because somebody else has to go out and fix it how does that work within, within the team how do you compete and what does success look like
2: well so within the team we don't necessarily keep track of who has the most recalls we have an idea when they happen but the biggest thing is if a guy has to go behind another guy because he didn't do his job very well that day they know they know and they know who was out there before them so it's one of the guys might call the the guy up and say, hey, you missed this or, hey, what were you seeing on this? Because I'm seeing this. But the biggest thing is, I guess, checking their ego at the door. So it's not necessarily a competition with having less recalls. We all just want to do a good job. So it's checking the ego at the door to make sure that the customer is the one that's being taken care of and not, you know, their personal score of who has more or less recalls.
1: Gotcha. So, so you're customer focused or customer obsessed, but there's also internal accountability that that you know you hold each other to a higher standard.
2: Right. And so, since we're a 24 hour business, there could be a situation where a guy's working on a piece of equipment during regular business hours and he missed something or was not thorough with evaluating the equipment, and then the service technician that's on call that night. Gets an emergency service call because this piece of equipment went down. Right. So that keeps guys in check as well because they don't want their coworker to be mad at them because they were lazy or just not thorough when they were working on something.
1: Right. Right. You get the evil eye the next day. Right. All right. Before we move on to the next section, let's ask you a question that we like asking all our guests: which is, there any surprising or interesting stat? that you can share about either your company or the industry?
2: Well, for, for our company, I think would be what's interesting is we have, I think, four customers that have been with us for about 15 years. And I know in this industry, that's unheard of. Then I guess that means we're doing something okay.
1: That's right. That's right. Now, that's great. I, I think that a lot of what I think customers and service providers have come to appreciate is there's a lot of accountability that needs to exist in our space, but also trust, right? And that you know your partner is looking out for your best interests. And you still hold yourself accountable using scorecards and data and KPIs and metrics so you can always keep your partnership aligned. But it comes down to also knowing that when the chips are down, that you can rely on your partner to do whatever it takes to give your customer the best experience possible and and to essentially ensure that their consumer doesn't have a, a decrease in the experience they have when they walk into that physical space, right? Let's jump into the next section. Let's talk about some big picture objectives and the way teams can move them across the goal line.
2: We're
0: going to go inside, we're going to go outside, inside and outside. We're going to get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until
1: we get across that goal line. As a service provider, what is important to you as a business? Where would you like to see your business go? I want to see the business
2: continue to grow. This new program that we've been a part of, I guess, for a little over a year with Service Channel, the SC Managed, it really opened up the door for us with getting new customers based on how well we perform. In the past, you always have to go door to door or make cold calls to different companies and try to find out who's in charge of their facilities and then fill out vendor packets and try to get a foot in the door with being able to service their facility. With the SE Managed Program, we haven't had to do that. It's based on how we perform. And we perform well. And we look at the data constantly within the platform to make sure that we're continuing to perform well. And so far, it's been rewarding. I like the way the business is handled, and I like uh, being rewarded for doing a good job. You don't get a lot of things within this industry as a, a meritocracy, and I enjoy that.
1: Right, now that, that's a great point. Meritocracy, right? You get more business because you do well, and you not only succeed in of expanding your business but you also ensure that you're fulfilling your commitments to your existing customers but as you know as a provider like do you see success as expansion Like, do you look at the future as i want to expand beyond uh, a certain geography i need more customers within you know my existing geography I need to become the primary service provider so I get more jobs because you're balancing it with the resources you have, right? So I'm curious, you know, does every provider look at their business in a certain mindset? Like growth is good or is it, well, no, as long as we have enough business to fulfill our capacity, like. That might be good too. I'm not really sure. Would love to understand your perspective.
2: So it's a little bit of both. With growing, it requires more technicians, and that's a tough market right now. And so we want to grow as much as we can, but we'll still be able to take care of the customer. So if we're not able to get more technicians, we're going to grow just by performing better, and we can keep track of that with the platform. So we become more efficient, we're able to build faster, get paid faster, cut time down on jobs where we can take care of more jobs with the same amount of technicians. It's essentially increasing our revenue without expanding the customer base.
1: So when you look at your customers and how you want to deliver the kind of customer experience that is aligned with your brand, what are your goals? Like, How, how do you measure that? How do you measure success?
2: Say we we measure our success by continuing to be able to take care of the customer because as we get busier, our workflow is predominantly controlled by the weather. So the hotter it is outside, the busier we are. So when we start getting a large amount of work orders piling up, I know that we're going to start teeter tottering on success with being able to take care of it and, and get it fixed. That's a it's a tough balance when. When you're slammed, when things are busy. But we measure success be it by being able to get it taken care of and kind of the amount of work orders we have completed and then what we're getting built out every week. By the end of the week, we kind of know where we're sitting with our success for the week or for the month. We kind of base it off of that. And then our metrics within different platforms that allow us to see our first time completion, our check-in, that sort of thing. I look at that every day. I relay that to my technicians when there's a need for improvement or just letting them know that we're doing pretty good. So keep it up.
1: I'd love to understand how you manage through that. Like how do you manage through the unpredictability? Because all you can say is, well, okay, it's going to be summer now. We know for sure we're going to be slammed, but you don't know when, where, and by how much. Maybe you have some ways of gauging that using historical data and experience and so on. When you look at certain objective pieces of, the, of your operations that you can control, like, like you just mentioned, that like you can use scorecards, you can use certain metrics to make sure that you're at least doing the basics to ensure that you are in line with your own expectations, but also with the expectations of your customer. But I'd love to understand, like, how do you go about managing with your staff the unpredictable nature of what you do?
2: So organized chaos. If I'm not talking with my guys, we have service calls waiting, I should be contacting them and saying, hey, what's your status? How are we doing? Do I need to try to get somebody else to this job? And then when we're really backed up, I get out there and start catching calls myself. That's kind of what helps manage the chaos and keeping us successful is communicating with everybody and then me stepping in when I need to, and then figuring out what's the smartest route to get stuff taken care of. And I have guys that live in different parts of the Metro Atlanta area. So we're kind of strategically placed with where all of our customers are. But sometimes it doesn't work out with being able to send that person that's closer to the job because they're not available. It's organized chaos. And the only way we do get through it is with communication.
1: Curious. like I'm sure there's a whole bunch of investments that you have to do to kind of stay competitive and fulfill your commitments to your customers and really excel, right? Mm-hmm. And Can you share some of what those important investments are that you've made across the company recently?
2: We went paperless about three years ago. And so no more paper invoices, the photocopies, that thing. We don't do that anymore. And we have an app that handles all of our work orders. It's facilities management, service management app. It does our parts, billing, regular work orders, uh, all of it. It keeps track of that. We went from taking probably 17 days to invoice to averaging about nine days to invoice.
1: So okay,
2: faster you get billing out, the faster you get paid.
1: What do you think has been one of the greatest challenges that you see has prevented you from realizing your full potential as a company or getting you to your goals? And And, and how do you Envision kind of getting past that.
2: I would say employees, finding new technicians. Most of my staff is between fifty and sixty years old. and there's not a lot of young people coming into the skilled trades. So that's my my biggest challenge with business and achieving a higher potential is
1: making sure I'm ready for the future. which is it's actually a great segue into our next segment, right? Where we talk about how you do it. So one of the biggest challenges we face like you just alluded to in our industry is around new talent, right? We have an aging workforce and not enough new blood coming in. How are you attracting talent and, and how do you keep them?
2: We use the different uh, hiring platforms that's you know, on the internet and I scour through all these different applications because I, I, I don't have a shortage of applications. I have a shortage of finding people that are actually qualified or have the, the mindset for this type of work. So you have to be mechanically inclined. You don't have to know what you're doing yet, but you have to be mechanically inclined and be a problem solver. And so what we've started doing is trying to hire newer people that are just out of school, but trying to give them the proper training because they, do, they really don't learn enough in the trade schools. It doesn't prepare them for what we do. And then there's nothing that can prepare a new technician for the physical portion of the job. So when you get on top of a roof, it may be 95 outside, but on the roof, it's about 145 and you're hot. You're it's. And so you're then having to troubleshoot. You have a customer that's piece of equipment is down and they could be losing product. And that guy's having to figure it out while he's also in a very uncomfortable situation. We've, I had plenty of younger people come on board before and it deters them pretty quick. And uh, there can be long hours, uh, it's, it can be a tough job, but it's a rewarding job, but that's, it's hard to get the younger generation to stick it out to you know get to, to a point where they know really know what they're doing and they're trained up to be a good technician.
1: So is there high attrition? So once they come in, you hire them, you train them and then they leave?
2: It seems to be the case i'm I try to be a lot more selective with who I bring on board and know that they're going to try to stick it out, but I've had i guess I've probably had seven in the last three years that didn't make it. you know it wasn't for a lack of trying on our end it's just they weren't cut out for it.
1: How do you judge if a person is mechanically inclined I mean you know there are trade schools and there's There's places you can go to find talent, right? Do you go to those avenues to find the right skills? What do you do?
2: Honestly, well, I get reached out to from trade schools. I'll get emails from their, their coordinator of their programs to say, hey, I have these people that are graduating. Here are their resumes. But then also when I bring guys in for an interview, I ask them some questions, but I can hear just by what they're talking about. They get past the interview process. As soon as they're working with one of my guys, we find out pretty quick if they have any troubleshooting, problem-solving skills. And that's usually, I can take a guy, if he wants to try really hard and he can problem solve, I can make him a technician. But if he just doesn't have that side of his brain with
1: troubleshooting, it's just not going to happen. What does... That training look like how long is it?
2: Well, I hope to have them on their own running a service call within three months, but they won't be a full fledged technician for at least two years, if not. Once they're on their, they're in a truck on their own catching service calls, they're going to be making a lot of phone calls. But I have, I've made cheat sheets, so this is something that I've tried to help with success with newer people. Is I have cheat sheets of different pieces of equipment, step by step of what to look at when you first come on a problem. And after they go through all these simple steps that really will help find most of the problems, I'm still figuring this one out with being able to get the younger group in that's going to be the future of the industry.
1: I mean, you also, when you see someone come in and, you know, they're here to solve your problem, you you take it for granted that, of course, they know everything, but that's not the re- that's not the reality. Everyone's learning all the time, but wow, it takes two years for them to be on the job essentially as an apprentice before you will send them out by themselves on a service call?
2: I'll send them out before two years on, on the by themselves. I don't think that they will know enough to be competent as a full technician
1: until it's two years in. Got it. Got it. They might need help.
2: Even after the fact, because I got guys that have 25 years of experience that still will come on a piece of equipment that they're not sure about and they need help. But we have these things that you can call people there's the search engines you know you can watch videos training videos there's manuals online there's no excuse for somebody at least trying to find the
1: problem right it's never been easier to find information right i mean you you have your phone in your hand you have all the tools available if you go looking for it you can find enough information and i think as an industry the more we do to enable the users to access information and be empowered, the better we are for it, right? Whether it's the store manager or the technician on the roof, I think technology has a huge role to play in empowerment. All right. What would you say to our audience, Chris, that that is a customer, a retailer, or a restaurant, and they have service provider partners? What would you say they should do to nurture great partnerships with their service providers? And how do you build the right partnerships. How do you hold each other accountable? How do you do it right?
2: Any relationship. People, if, if they don't talk about or ask questions with what they're curious about, they start creating things in their head and they, and it makes a problem bigger than it should be. So when you ask, when I get a phone call from my customer, hey, did your guy do this? Or could you help me figure out what's, why this quote is this? Why this costs so much money? That sort of thing makes a huge difference, and then they know that they can call you, and just ask, and solve the issue instead of having something where they get upset with. And then the customer should, I feel like, should be reasonable with their expectations. When something goes down, it's an emergency. Typically, we have a four-hour time frame to get to the job. Well, when it's in the middle of the night, they have to realize that the guy that they're calling worked all day, regular 8- to 12-hour workday. And then they got woke up to come service their piece of equipment. I feel like the customer should be aware that we're doing the best we can, but the, what we're doing is not easy. So, you know, have a little grace with us. And because we'll, we'll have times where we'll start getting hounded with, please provide an ETA. It's two o'clock in the morning. Just give us a second. We got to get woken up and get on the road, but we'll get there. We'll, we promise we will make it within our time frame. Just bear with us a second. It's, it's early, but having the customer having some grace and also with their communication, hopefully they're getting a good service from their vendor. So then they know they're being taken care of and they can trust and rely that they are going to do what they say. So it's, you know, it's a two-way street with the vendor and customer relationship. Both sides have to, you know, play their part. And so that helps the customer be a better customer. And of course, when they pay on time, that's a good thing too.
1: <laughs> you, right. Of course, it's a partnership.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a partnership. A uh, rambling way of me saying that it's a partnership.
1: Right. It, it, it has to be, I think I think you summarize it well. If you both do your part, then both win. And ultimately, that's what we all want. Before we jump into the next session, any fun, crazy, interesting story that, that you can share with with our audience?
2: Well, I guess about three or four months ago, I was in Utah on a short vacation and we were riding horses in the mountains. And I had a customer that had, it was a, I think, believe it was a Saturday, I had a customer that had a emergency issue. Some of the important people in the company went into one of the locations and there was a lot of things that weren't fixed and people were getting in trouble. So they reached out to me and were hoping that we could facilitate getting these problems resolved. So I'm on my phone texting one of my technicians while I'm on this horse and uh, then answering the phone. And my wife's turning around on her horse, turns around and, what are you doing? You know, and, but at the end of the day, they were very grateful and we got everything taken care of. They know they can call me. We'll be there for them when they need us.
1: That's funny. So you saw the customer's issue while horseback riding, (laughs) but that's great. That also says. You know, one of the things that we always talk about is in our space, we spoke about trust before. You can always trust that the right partners, you know, the partners that you rely on will be there when you need them. That's just the nature of our business, right? When it comes to, whether it's your service provider partners or it's facility managers, you know, you have to be there, you know, because you not being there could mean, Tubs of ice cream melting away, which could lead to hundreds of dollars of losses. It could mean a store can't open, which means even bigger losses. It could mean a store can't close, which means it's a security issue. And so I think the nature of our industry is that you get used to the idea that you have to be there when someone needs you. And I think it attracts a very specific kind of person to our space, someone you can actually rely on. So jumping into our, our final section, let's talk about the future. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the past. From your perspective, how has the industry evolved over the past 10 years? So the problem with getting
2: new employees or getting new trained technicians, that has been eased a little bit by having the phone you're able to look up so many different things and and a guy can find some information online to help him. that's a huge change so in the past my dad's got stacks and stacks of these thick manuals that guys apparently used to carry around in their service vans (laughs) so they would be in their truck going through this manual trying to figure out how to troubleshoot you know a compressor or some sort of large rack system on a supermarket that type of thing so The technology that's available to us, just with most industries, that has really started to change this business in our industry over the last 10 years. And then the new technology that's coming out for the equipment has, I mean, it just continues to evolve, which then creates a new set of problems for the service companies that have to learn how to work on this new equipment that keeps coming out. But that's been a huge thing that won't stop because, you know, technology's ever-changing. So that's just something, part of the business now.
1: Right. I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, the advancements in technology, I think, have been tremendous in our space and just in general, enabling us to communicate better, communicate faster. But you're right, more things can break too, right? And the companies, the folks that are out there responsible for taking care of these issues have to keep up on their training, on their skills so that they can continue to evolve in this ever-changing environment. So, you know, 100% agree. It's been an interesting 10 years for sure.
2: Yeah, there's um, new stuff with asset management where you have modules inside equipment that, you know, you're monitoring it from remotely. And in the past, you know, supermarkets have this sort of thing, but now you're seeing it on all types of equipment and a smaller scale that... The customer can just log in on their computer or their phone and see what the temperature of their item is so and then they also get alerted when there's a problem or these management tools will automatically generate a service call because it reads that the temperature's wrong and the store may not even know
1: no absolutely I, I think the world is going towards this whole notion of prescriptive maintenance proactive maintenance and maybe someday right predictive maintenance right where you know, if there's smart assets and IOT and the right rule, we know when something might break in the future, and we can dispatch someone to go out there to investigate the issue so that it doesn't even reach to a point where it actually does break. And there's something to be said about that because why should the the store know, right? Why should the general manager of that grocery store know? All they need to know is, is the refrigerator working? And is my product safe for sale and for safe consumption by the consumer? And it's everything that can happen behind the scenes to ensure that, you know, those racks are up and running and that product is optimal, you know, for sale. Like That's our job, right? And the more tools and technology we can use and leverage to ensure that we can stay ahead of it, the better, because it's a reactive space. But- It's very important. We can do a lot to get ahead of it.
2: Yeah, and it's continuing to grow in that sector.
1: Right. You know, the past three years have been very interesting, right, with COVID. I'm sure it's affected how you work with your customers within your own company. Are there any COVID-related shifts that you think are here to stay?
2: I'm seeing a lot more customers being concerned with their filters, like having a heavier-duty filter that, Filters out more microbials or bacteria, you know, whatever. So that's, I'm seeing that a lot more. They're willing to pay the higher price for a higher quality of uh, product. And then um, there's been a big push with uh, UV light. So you, they have um, lights that you can stick because, you know, hospitals and airplanes, and everything use UV light to kill bacteria. So now they have it where it's setting up inside your air system. And it's killing the germs in your air. So that's becoming a a big push because of COVID, which is just, it's another section of the industry that allows for things that need to be fixed, a sales stream for selling new equipment. And it's also potentially keeping people safer. That's pretty much the main differences or change that I've seen with COVID. A lot of the things with our side of the business all of our guys are kind of either on roofs or by themselves working on things. So that's, we haven't had a big shift in anything else with our day-to-day operations.
1: Gotcha. I think that you're right. I think customers today are willing to spend more for quality and the expectations of safety standards have definitely gone up, which I think is here to stay, which is a good thing. But I also think like customer expectations have gone up, right? There's a lot of competition and the past three years has also shed a light upon, you know, which businesses are, are here to stay, you know, which ones are competitive and which ones are going above and beyond for their consumers. So expectations have gone up too and and brands are having to step up. Would you agree?
2: It seems that way. And I know there's some companies on in my industry that didn't make it through the through the time period, and that's where performing well within platforms and also communicating well with your customers became even more important. It should have always been important, but certain things happen in the world that makes things more important than, than they used to be. And so now when your company is doing what it's supposed to, it's shining. And that's been, that has been beneficial for us.
1: That, that, that's a fantastic point. You're right. The, the competitive landscape, even in, in this service provider business has been very, you know, dynamic. There's been a lot of changes. It's much more competitive. And the ones that do a great job for their customers and and have have objective data and subjective data to show it are the ones that should win and I think are winning. That's a very positive kind of thing to kind of look forward to, which is in any marketplace, you know, you want the providers to, to win because then the customer wins, right? More competition is good. All right. What do you think about the shortage of talent that we have in our space? What does the future look like? How do we solve it, right? And what advice would you give to the young talent that's out there who isn't yet considering entering into the trades? What would you say to them? What kind of life can they expect? What's in store for them? Why should they join our space?
2: Well, the conversation needs to change, I think, nationally, maybe worldwide with how the trades are looked at for so long it's been pushed the, you know, you go get your four year degree or higher education and you go get a job out of college. Well, I had a lot of friends that did not get jobs or the jobs that they got, they were not making the money that they thought they would. And you can go to trade school year or two in trade school and come out and start making a pretty good wage. And then you can grow from there and you can have a good living and you can start a family, you can buy a home, you can have a good life. And it's can be hard work, but it's pretty pretty good honest work and you know that you're taking care of somebody or on the commercial side they need you. And so the, we have to somehow make new people feel like they're needed and that it's a important job because of it it is. I kind of jokingly say that it's most important job in the world because we keep ice cream cold yeah <laughs> but it's not just ice cream you know it's all food stuff and then same with your air conditioning people aren't comfortable in a location they're not going to go there and so the conversation has to shift with the trades for the younger people that it's important and then you get a side benefit of you know how to fix things so you probably will never call somebody to come work on stuff at your home because you are mechanically inclined and you troubleshoot things. And so you rather try to figure out it on your own. I find a lot of benefits to coming into this trade. And that's, I'm still trying to figure out how to, you know, change that conversation for the younger generation.
1: The more we can do to shed light upon the trades and and the fact that there'll always be demand. There'll always be a need for their skills. And that there's actually a deficit in terms of skilled talent, the better, right? Because we need more new blood joining the space. There's a lot of jobs out there. You know, to your point, I think if folks are looking and thinking about what's next, I think everyone would agree that they should highly consider getting into the skilled trades business because it can be a great life. But I think it's also something which will always be around. Like You'll always need skilled technicians to come in and and solve these problems that businesses are going to face. You're going to only have assets evolve over time and someone's got to take care of them, right? Right. It's
2: kind of economy-proof.
1: If the economy's down, stuff still has to be fixed.
2: Otherwise, you know then we run into a lot of issues, you no know, food and that's that sort of thing. So you're always going to be needed, regardless of how everybody else is operating. These industries, the skilled trades have to be available. And so you're always gonna have a job. And then if you perform well in your job, you become sought after just like with any other job and you can make a very good living.
1: Right, and people will always need ice cream, right? <laughs> Yeah. No no matter how how good or bad the economy is, I think a little bit of ice cream can do a lot of good.
2: <laughs> You'd be when you're in those stores and you see the customers coming in to get the ice cream and you you know, you're sitting on the floor working on a piece of equipment. They just automatically have smiles on people's faces. It's it's the strangest thing.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. By the way, I have to ask, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream?
2: Uh chocolate peanut butter.
1: Ah, nice. M- mine's dark chocolate. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, Chris, this is an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. And for everyone in the audience, thank you for joining. Chris, can you tell the audience where they can find you?
2: LampianMechanical.com and somewhere around Atlanta, servicing ice cream.
1: That's perfect. Well, on that note, thanks again, Chris. And thank you, everyone. See you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast brought to you by Service Channel. Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Go to servicechannel.com to learn more. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rate and review.